0: Hello and welcome to Polylog, a weekly dialogue where we take a critical look at the policymaker, the politician and the journalist because each is critical and each demands criticism. I'm Brendan Steidel, your co-host and communication specialist in government, technology, and healthcare.
1: And I'm Naomi Soto, your other co-host and health policy professional based in California. Polylog is our attempt to find, praise, and demand constructive political dialogue.
0: In most of our episodes, we look at all sides of the Sunday morning talk shows, but we also have special episodes where we look at other forms of political journalism and communication.
1: That's right, and we're doing that one more time this election cycle. And we're talking about the second, what should have been the third final debate between President Trump and former Vice President Joe Biden.
0: That took place on October 22nd, 2020.
1: And the debate took place in Nashville, Tennessee. And yet it wasn't very musical at all. Really Brendan.
0: I'm just saying. (laughs) It could have been more musical. They could have had some breaks.
1: No, I'm glad we got it over with and we have a lot to discuss today. As always, with our debate episodes, we'll discuss the moderator, how they did, looking at some of their questions and performance in controlling and facilitating the debate. And we'll look at both candidates. What were their goals? What did they accomplish? And what were their weak spots?
0: But to start us off, let's get our first impressions. Number one, it was a real debate.
1: I mean, I think this is a reflection of our lower standards, but what a relief To have a real, actual debate where policies are discussed. Sure, there is some rhetoric, but actual substantive conversations.
0: Yeah, I have a question for you, Naomi. Did you prefer this debate over the vice presidential debate?
1: Hmm. Yes. Why? I thought Kristen Walker did a way better job than Susan Page, and that made all of the difference.
0: Yeah, because she was able to push back and she actually had follow-ups.
1: Yeah, so we'll get into much deeper conversation around Kristen Walker's performance, but just a phenomenal, phenomenal job. The other thing, the rules did change for this debate. There's big, big difference from the first debate, which was a complete dumpster fire. It was trash. Yeah, it was truly trash. (laughs) It was trash inside. It was burning trash inside of a dumpster fire. That's, That's what the first debate was. The big change for this debate decided by the Debates Commission, was that when a question was asked and a candidate had a two-minute window for their response, the other candidate would have their mic muted. Now, that was only in that initial two-minute response of after a question. When there was a back and forth, their mics were not muted.
0: And yet the candidates mostly respected each other, not only during those two minutes that the other was talking, but also during the back and forth. There were little interjections here or there, but there wasn't this, you know, ferocious, I'm going to try to take the mic or talk over everything that the other candidate says. And obviously this is Trump who did that. Most explicitly during that first debate.
1: Right. It was just very interesting that the mics were only muted for those two-minute windows, but it completely changed the tone for the whole night.
0: I think probably from the candidate's perspective, it was harder for them to keep track of like, were they in that two-minute zone or not in that two-minute zone? And it was probably easier to just let the other person finish talking and then jump in.
1: Yeah, I wonder if there was some type of... I don't know if this happened in the first debate, but I know in other election cycles, there's been like some type of light, right? Yep. That says like your time is up or whatever. I wonder if they had something visible for them. But but in general, it doesn't matter. Like it, it just completely changed tone of the evening, which was such a relief.
0: The other thing that probably contributed to the fact that this debate turned out so much better was Trump himself saw a really bad slide in the polls following that first debate. I mean, I think the average aggregate of polls went down 3 to 4 points. It was very dramatic when we talk about like debate bounces and the distance between the two candidates, you know, Biden's position improved by 3 to 4 points after that debate in in a an election cycle where things have been extremely steady over time. So Trump had a lot of incentive to try to change his strategy. And from everything we've heard about the internals of the Trump campaign, there were lots of Trump campaign officials saying, like, don't do that again.
1: Right, right. And he didn't. And of course, we'll get into what he actually did do when we get to that part of today's episode. So let's start off in our first segment with the moderator performance. What do well, let's talk about Kristen Walker just more broadly before we talk about today. She is a White House correspondent with NBC News. I think she has a weekend show that she hosts as well, but we mainly see her in a lot of the press briefings at, at the White House and has been kind of growing in reputation and just her work for NBC News during this Trump administration.
0: And she is biracial. And it was really great to have some some actual ethnic diversity among the debate moderators. And perhaps that uh, had an impact on the types of questions that were asked. We actually had a much broader discussion of race, a much deeper, more meaningful discussion of race than we've had in either of the last two debates.
1: 100%. So what did Kristen Welker do well tonight? Well, one, she asked really tough questions with my favorite part, really fantastic contextualization, That includes very recent reporting, things that we're finding out literally in the last week. That was something that was so frustrating to me during Chris Wallace and Susan Page's performance that it seemed as if those debates could have happened four months ago. There was very little context into things that we were recently learning about either candidate.
0: Yeah. For example, take a listen to this question about something we learned in the news literally a day or so ago.
2: This is for you. Since you took office, you've never divested from your business. You've personally promoted your properties abroad. A report this week, which was referenced, does indicate that your company has a bank account in China. So how can voters know that you don't have any foreign conflicts of interest?
3: I have many bank accounts, and they're all listed, and they're all over the place. I mean, I was a businessman doing business.
0: So that was great, because... We all wanted to know what's going on there. Now, I do know that there were some questions related to Trump's tax returns in the earlier debate that Chris Wallace had. So it's not like Chris completely ignored those things. But I think Kristen Welker did a great job with with inserting this context.
1: This actually reminds me of something we discussed a long, long time ago, Brendan, about Tim Russert on the Sunday shows, mm-hmm. where he gave a lot of context, but then had a simple question. And I think that's what Kristen Welker did today as well. Because you don't want to put such a loaded question where then you can't follow along what people are actually asking, right? But it, it's important to kind of have that recent facts, contextualize what she's asking, and then like, very clearly be able to understand whether or not Trump's answering the question
0: yeah and if he wasn't she actually had follow-ups this was absolutely amazing incredible completely on point after susan page showed up with zero follow-ups
1: it's like she didn't know what they were susan yeah. page she and never of, heard a of follow-up
0: question not only did Kristen <laughs> welker actually have follow-ups she would even interrupt the answer if the answer wasn't on point Take a listen.
2: Both respond very quickly. You just said you spoke to your accountant about potentially releasing your taxes. Did he tell you when you can release them? Do you have a deadline for when you're going to release them? I get treated
3: worse than the Tea Party got treated because I have a a lot lot of people in there deep down in the IRS. They treat me horribly. We made a deal. It was all settled until I decide to run for president. So could you imagine,
0: imagine if in the vice presidential debate, Susan Page did this when Mike Pence refused completely. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So many questions.
1: Absolutely. He would just not answer the question for like three fourths of his to- a lot of time.
0: Yeah. If, or he, if, if at all. Or he would say, yeah, Susan, but I want to go back to this. Or Susan, I really want to talk about this.
1: Tell
2: us specifically, how would your administration protect Americans with pre-existing conditions have access to affordable insurance if the Affordable Care Act is struck down?
4: Well, uh, thank you, Susan. But let me just say, addressing your very first question, I I couldn't be more proud to serve as vice president to a president who stands without apology for the sanctity of human life.
0: Or or even Kamala, when she went off and gave her whole personal life history and story when she was asked about Biden, I don't know, was it Biden's health? Something like that. Oh, if there was a plan of transition, if Biden got, got sick or something. Right, right, right. She's like, well, I'll tell you about when I first met Joe Biden or when Joe Biden told me I was be a VP. It was the best day
1: of my Zoom life ever. Yeah.
0: yeah. Answer the question.
1: Have you had
2: a conversation or reached an agreement with Vice President Biden about safeguards or procedures when it comes to the issue of presidential disability? And if not, and if you win the election next month, do you think you should? You have two minutes uninterrupted.
1: So let me tell you, first of all, um, the day I got the call from from Joe Biden, it was actually a Zoom call. um, Asking me to serve with him on this ticket was probably one of the most memorable memorable days of my life. Um, I, you know, I thought about my mother. Yeah, and I think there's a broader conversation that's been happening on the Twitter sphere between journalists about the role of follow-ups and the moderator's responsibility or not to to do follow-ups and to do fact-checking as well. And it's interesting to think, like, it didn't take a ton of time. I think that's the other thing. Like, oftentimes they say there's so many questions, you want to get through a lot of topics or whatever, but if you can hold the tone of the debate, when something isn't asked and you move on, it, it's more obvious than actually taking the time to actually ask that follow-up. And I think that's what Kristen Walker did really, really well, is that she kept bringing back the question. If I think there was was another point when they were talking about race, and it kind of went to some other point, and she's like, I want to bring it back to race. We're going to keep talking about race. I mean, I think she just did a really good job to signal also to the audience that actually this is what we're talking about, and let's bring it back.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's another great thing she did, is she stayed on topic really, really well. And like you say, Naomi, Follow-ups can help you stay on topic, and that serves the audience. It doesn't waste time. No, to the contrary, it keeps the politician on topic and keeps the, the conversation on the rails. It doesn't matter if you're like reaching all your time limits. If the segment that you have, let's say you have segment A, and it's about climate change, and nobody talks about climate change. And you had nine minutes to talk about it. And in those nine minutes, you're done. And you go to the next segment. And you're like, oh, look, we made it to healthcare in nine minutes. So we're staying on schedule. Yeah, but nobody talked about climate change.
1: Right. Like you know? that is not a successful nine minutes. Exactly. Well, speaking of climate change, oh, Kristen Welker, I think the other thing she did really well is that she, she was very careful with how she phrased her questions. And that also helped her stay on topic. Take a listen to how she started the conversation between the two candidates around climate change. So we got to get on to climate
2: change, please. You both have very different visions on climate change. President Trump, you say that environmental regulations have hurt jobs in the energy sector. Vice President Biden, you have said you see addressing climate change as an opportunity to create new jobs for each of you. How would you both combat climate change and support job growth at the same time?
1: Starting with you, President Trump, you have two minutes uninterrupted. Okay, so this is really great for a few reasons. One, it doesn't even bring in the question of whether or not climate change is real.
0: Wait, you're telling me it's real?
1: (laughs) (laughs) So that's kind of point one. The other thing is that it's about actual mitigation strategies, right? Yes. So talk to me about your solutions, not about whether or not you like it. Also very important.
0: Or also talk to me about solutions and not just about the impact and how bad it is either. Correct. Right?
1: Yeah. Which... I mean, to be clear, a lot of Democrats like to do that a lot. They talk about how bad things are and they're not talking about mitigation. Yeah. And then the third thing is that she talks about job growth because so many times the conversation around climate change and economic opportunities are seen as two separate conversations or sometimes
0: in opposition.
1: Exactly. As opposed to actually they should be, they could be and they should be intertwined.
0: So great job with the question because it sets what the conversation's really gonna be about. And it sets
1: up the expectation. Yeah. Right? I think that's the other thing. Where if you're talking about climate change and you're not talking about jobs, then of course there's gonna be people upset with you. But if you can talk about economic opportunity or talk at the same time as talking about clean air, it's it's raising the expectations for the candidates and for what the voters should want from them.
0: Exactly. I mean that's the main point that these are people, these are like job interviews. People, these, these folks want to be in charge and actually do something. They're not just opinionators, they're not just bloviators, they're not just people who are giving their, their personal take on climate change or their personal take on such and such issue. What are you going to actually do about it? That's what they need to be held to. And a lot of times these sorts of interviews or even debates can be about, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? Let me take your temperature on on this. And
1: we saw that especially in the primary debates.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Those were a mess. And then finally, I thought it was important to highlight another thing she did well, and that is that Even when Trump kind of stole time, and he did that almost at the end of every single conversation, he always wanted to get the last word in. And even though it was clearly taking more time than Kristen Welker wanted in that topic, and she wanted to move on, she didn't say, okay, let's move on. She said, Joe Biden, you have some time to respond to that. Quickly, please respond to that. And that's very much appreciated because what we saw from Susan Page when Mike Pence did the exact same thing was that she wanted to railroad over or get past Kamala Harris. She didn't want Kamala Harris to jump in because already Pence took them over time and there's no time for any follow-ups. We got to move on for criminal justice reform. Thank you, Vice President and fought Pence.
4: for educational choice and opportunities for African-Americans, all of our memories. Thank you, sir. And we'll do it for four Thank months.
2: you. You know, there is no more important issue than the final issue that we're going to talk about tonight, and that is the issue of the election but, but itself. It,
1: he attacked my record. I would like an opportunity okay. to respond. Let me
2: give you 30 seconds because, we, 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 because we're running out of time. I appreciate that.
0: She was so obsessed with time that she wasn't thinking about fairness or or the balance of time between the two candidates. And I think that Kristen Welker was very conscious of that and always tried to give Biden the time, even if Trump wanted to steal it.
1: Okay, but there are, of course, in any performance, weaknesses or opportunities to improve. What are some things that you think Kristen Welker could have done a little bit better?
0: Number one on my list is that fact check issue. There were not really a lot of fact checks on the spot And I understand that it's difficult to do this, you know, because then it can seem very combative between the candidates and the moderator and you don't get the candidates, you know, conversing amongst each other. But if the terms of the debate are so obviously being falsified by one candidate or the other, it really doesn't serve the audience for that to be an issue of opinion or an issue of debate. It's an issue of fact. And it needs to be corrected so that they can move on or that the terms of the debate can be set so they can talk about what really matters. Let me give you a really solid example of this. Take a listen to this conversation about subsidies to farmers that Donald Trump provided during his trade war with China.
2: What no, specifically no, but are you going to do? What specifically are you going to do to make China pay? You've said you're going to make of all, them pay.
3: China is paying. They're paying billions and billions of dollars. I just gave twenty-eight, $28 billion dollars. New sanctions. I just gave twenty-eight billion dollars to our farmers. Taxpayers' China
4: money. It's what? Taxpayers' money. Didn't no, come no, from yeah, China. you know who the
3: taxpayers? It's called China.
0: China paid twenty-eight billion. So the trade war with China, we've talked about it on Polylog. It's had a lot, a lot of serious impacts to the agriculture industry here in the United States, because China bought a lot of agricultural products from the United States. And when the trade war happened...
1: I mean, they're some of the biggest producer of, of soy and products. I mean... You mean the
0: biggest consumers.
1: Right. That's, that's what I mean.
0: <laughs> China is. China is one of the biggest consumers. Right. Yeah. And so when suddenly there were tariffs that made these products way more expensive to Chinese buyers... Chinese buyers went elsewhere and they set up alternative relationships with other places like countries in South America. That meant that American agricultural producers were producing a lot of stuff and they didn't have anyone to sell it to, or there was no need to produce it because they didn't have any buyers. So the Trump administration gave them a lot of subsidies and Donald Trump is trying to say, well, China paid that money to our farmers. And the reality is that American taxpayers paid that money to the farmers. And we're subsidizing those farmers. That's an important point to make because Donald Trump's vision is we're making China pay their fair share. And in reality, Trump is supporting this trade war and he's not really owning up to the strategies that he's using. Right. And Trump could very well say, look, it's important to support these farmers during this difficult period where we're trying to push back on China. There's a cost to it. And we're trying not to make the farmers bear the greatest burden. So the taxpayers are helping with that. And we think long term, it's going to have more meaningful effects. Right. That's what he could have argued. But instead, he lied and just said China was paying it, just like he said that Mexico was paying for the wall.
1: Yeah. I mean, I don't disagree with you, obviously, that Trump is lying. I think where, and this is kind of a surprising for, it's surprising for me to kind of admit this or realize this, is that prior to tonight, I thought fact-checking was a vital component for a good performance by a moderator. But what surprised me tonight with Kristen Welker is that even though she didn't fact-check, I still think she did a phenomenal job. Mainly it's because I probably, Biden did a pretty good job in noting when something was completely false. And so it's not like it got completely Unnoticed, but I don't know. It, there's something about Welker's performance that the fact check didn't seem as crucial compared to her follow-ups. I thought was way more important.
0: Yeah, I think another thing, kind of to buttress your argument, Naomi, is that Kristen Welker set the terms of debate really well. Joe Biden did try to correct a lot of the issues or say that they weren't true. But another thing that was kind of in favor of your argument that that fact checks aren't important is that. Donald Trump himself didn't often explain the lies that he was telling to the extent that the average viewer could really get what he was going after, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. And we'll talk about that maybe a little bit more when we're at the Trump section. There were things that he said. I'm like, I don't think that's true, but I don't really know what you're talking about to like even spend too much time worrying about it.
0: <laughs> but for me, like, I do recognize that it can be very tough to figure out When do you need to jump in with a fact check and when not, especially with a candidate like Donald Trump, who Daniel Dale, the CNN fact checker, said lied more here than he did even in the first
1: debate. I know, which was really surprising.
0: Yeah. However, however, I do think that a really good place where you could draw that line as a moderator or an interviewer, well, I guess in the sense when you're a moderator, is when there's an extended exchange about a topic that is clearly there's one fact That's one true or not, right? I think
1: that's true, right? Because then I think if it is an extended conversation about a a specific topic, at that point, the moderator is more like an interviewer interviewing Mm -hmm. two people at the same time, Yeah, right? And then, and in an interview, absolutely, I expect fact checks,
0: Yeah, right? But Naomi, you had one more thing you wanted to say that she could have uh, improved on, yeah?
1: One thing that I noticed is at the end of each segment, they concluded not because... Kristen Walker actually had control over both candidates. It was almost as if Biden was agreeing with her that they needed to move on. And he would kind of wrap up the segment. She would say, Mr. Vice President, 10 seconds to you. And he would say something that would be like, he would just say, like, go to my website and look at this. Or the, the fact is, this is where we're at. There's 500 children who have been separated. Like he'd give an answer that was so concise that it wasn't. It wasn't something that President Trump could really respond to, but it kind of cinched the segment. Yeah. And in that way, it almost felt as if Kristen Walker and Joe Biden were almost working together to move to each topic. But I don't know how Kristen Walker would have done that without Joe Biden being able to kind of cinch the segment. Yeah. So it felt like she she did get through a lot of topics and a lot of questions, but controlling when to move on, I think, was a part that was still hard for her. Yeah, I agree. But overall, just a real highlight of this general election. I would say even maybe of the primary ele- debates as well. Yeah. When there was like 20 people moderating the debates. Remember those? Oh,
0: my gosh. Yeah, I hate it when that happens. Yeah. It's like, so, not only do you have lots of candidates, but you've got lots of moderators. It's <laughs> no, like, goodness, to... <laughs> people. How many people can we fit on one stage?
1: <laughs> yeah, that was the best. So Kristen Welker, just a real, real highlight. And I mean... I'm also just especially happy for her because there was a lot of vitriol pointed in her direction this week, a lot of racist comments as well. And she just like, you know what? I know how to do my job and you guys are all going to see it. And she did. And she did an astounding job.
0: Totally in agreement. All right, Naomi, let's move on to take a look at our two candidates. Who shall we begin with first?
1: Let's start with President Trump first.
0: All right. So for each of the candidates, we're going to look at a few things.
1: Yeah. So we're going to look at what messages did that candidate have to share tonight. We'll look at kind of his wins or what he was able to do well. And then we'll look at what the candidate failed to achieve.
0: You kept talking in he's and I'm like, no, the president doesn't have to be a he, but these are two
1: he's. It is two he's, I know.
0: So what messages do you think Donald Trump came to the table, came to the debate with? I
1: think the first and foremost kind of message and i think probably one of his more effective ones was that we are rounding the corner on COVID, and that he's learned a lot
0: since he was diagnosed
1: since he was diagnosed and and since the start of the year it, it made i feel like he tried to make the claim that america overall has gone through a lot and we're we're at the tail end according to donald trump
2: the country is heading into a dangerous new phase More than 40,000 Americans are in the hospital tonight with COVID, including record numbers here in Tennessee. And since the two of you last shared a stage, 16,000 Americans have died from COVID. So please be specific. How would you lead the country during this next stage of the coronavirus crisis? Two minutes uninterrupted.
3: So, as you know, 2.2 million people modeled out were expected to die. We closed up the greatest economy in the world in order to fight This horrible disease that came from China it's a worldwide pandemic it's all over the world you see the spikes in Europe and many other places right now Uh, if you notice the mortality rate is down 85% Uh, the excess mortality rate is way down and much lower than almost any other country and we're fighting it and we're fighting it hard there is a spike there was a spike in Florida and it's now gone There was a very big spike in Texas. It's now gone. There was a very big spike in Arizona. It's now gone. And there are some spikes and surges in other places. They will soon be gone. We have a vaccine that's coming. It's ready. It's going to be announced within weeks, and it's going to be delivered. We have uh, Operation Warp Speed, which is the military is going to distribute the vaccine. I can tell you from personal experience that uh, I was in the hospital. I had it. And I got better. And I will tell you that uh, I had something that they gave me a therapeutic, I guess they would call it. Some people could say it was a cure, but uh, I was in for a short period of time and I got better very fast or I wouldn't be here tonight.
1: I mean, of course, he's downplaying the completely irresponsible mistakes and slow learning of the year particularly around PPE, around contact tracing, around this third spike that we're experiencing nationally, around how and when to open up certain economies. I mean, but that's, of course, he's not going to bring that up, right? Like he's the president and he has to kind of say that we're, we've done so well and we've learned so much, but he's not completely, I don't know. He was, I mean, he did blame China for the virus, but the tone, the the gravity of COVID felt real in that response.
0: Yeah. And I think overall, his answer where he's, obviously, we've been seeing numbers go up, but he makes a strong rhetorical argument saying, look, we've had a surge in Florida, that's gone down. There was a surge in Texas, that's gone down. So it makes it feel like from a viewer's perspective, okay, numbers might be going up, but then they'll go back down. Like, we've we've found a way to deal with this. And In reality, we are in a different place than we were when this first started, right? We as a whole country collectively have learned a lot and we are managing it differently over time. And there have been real milestones and changes and adjustments over that period that have happened while he's been president. So he can take credit for some of those good things. And he can also say, look, things have gone up before and they can come back down. That was really his first answer to the first question. And we thought that it was a message he continued to push on throughout that segment. Another thing that he talked about was his strong record on the stock market and on criminal justice reform. These are two things that he felt he could bring to the table and he could argue were popular items. Now, surprisingly, they're kind of the two, really some of the only items that he boasted about from his four years as president. And I was really actually surprised that his tax cuts... I
1: was just thinking that, too. Yeah,
0: were not part of that. They weren't part of the conversation at all.
1: Yeah. Well, to be clear, Kristen Walker didn't ask about the tax plan in terms of, was that a mistake to do it or, you know, to either one of them. But the fact that President Trump didn't voluntarily bring that up as an accomplishment is also surprising.
0: And then, of course, finally, what's the final thing you brought to the table, Naomi?
1: bashing on Joe Biden of course
0: and not not really Joe Biden's record not his policies but something else right
1: yeah so he went back multiple times claiming that Joe Biden or the Biden family received money from foreign governments and that it was very suspicious
0: and he just kept harping on this again and again sometimes to bizarre effect.
3: Joe answered, Joe got three and a half million dollars from Russia and it came through Putin because he was very friendly with the former mayor of Moscow and it was the mayor of Moscow's wife and you got three and a half million dollars. Your family got three and a half million dollars and you know, someday you're gonna have to explain why did you get three and a half? I never got any money from Russia. I don't get money from Russia. They both want you to lose because there has been nobody tougher to Russia. With, between the sanctions. Nobody tougher than me on Russia. Between the sanctions, between all of what I've done with NATO. You know, I've got the NATO countries to put up an extra 130 billion going to $420 billion a year. That's to guard against Russia. I sold, while he was selling pillows and sheets, I sold tank busters to Ukraine. There has been nobody tougher on Russia than Donald Trump.
1: So again, it's, Very little defense and boasting of his own record and just kind of attacking Joe Biden and and trying to create like a stigma around the Biden name.
0: Yes. Over and over. Yeah. And Donald Trump has been pushing this story about Joe Biden and his son ever since he asked Ukraine to announce an investigation of Joe Biden. And ultimately, Donald Trump was impeached for that attempt. But he is still at it. And it really has never, never stuck to great effect. As far as we know.
1: Well, people have a longer name ID with Joe Biden than they do with Donald Trump in American politics. And I know President Trump tries to make that a negative in terms of he hasn't claiming Biden hasn't done enough in his long career. But I think there's just kind of a more familiarity around the Biden name.
0: But interestingly, even though Donald Trump kept going back to these claims that are unsubstantiated, he very carefully talked about them without personally dissing members of the Biden family, which was a real difference from the insults he tried to hurl at Hunter Biden in the first debate.
1: Correct. I mean, I think part of that is that it opens up the conversation on Rudy Giuliani's role and where he's getting his information, which is suspected to be Russia. And I think it's like a path not worth it for, for President Trump.
0: Well, and I think his prize advisor said... Don't be so personal.
1: No, I understand that. But even if you wanted to, the conversation would be harder than you could handle. But we should look at a couple of the stronger moments of President Trump and what he was able to accomplish today that he wasn't able to accomplish in the first debate.
0: Yeah. Number one, being civil, generally, somewhat. It was the Trump tone pivot that everyone has been waiting for. (laughs) For like the last five years. And it actually happened. He was markedly different. And rather than go after Kristen Welker, as he and his team had done before the debate, he actually praised her during the debate. Take a listen.
3: That question. And by the way, so far, I respect very much the way you're handling this. I have to say. By the way. But
1: somebody should. Yeah, I think I heard afterward in some of the post-debate coverage, I'm pretty sure it was Van Jones. Apologies if it was somebody else, but I'm pretty sure it was Van Jones that said, President Trump did his best, and his best wasn't good enough. And I think that's pretty accurate. Like, this was President Trump genuinely trying to seem presidential, to seem, like, in control, like, in control of his body and his mouth. (laughs) Yeah. And he's still, I mean, I I don't know, period, I guess I would say. It's, It's better than what we've seen before of him.
0: Yeah. And also, you know, I I kept thinking to myself, as we've seen him, we've seen the Trump who's kind of going off the rails, as we saw in the first debate, interrupting and being rude and aggressive. And then there's the Trump of kind of his super long 70, 80, 90 minute speech at the Republican National Convention, where, you know, by the middle, towards the end of it, he's reading off the teleprompter, leaning so heavily on the podium he looks like he's about to fall over you know just completely subdued no energy as jeb bush might say but no he he was neither of those things right he was engaged he was listening we how often do we actually see donald trump listening at all right but he couldn't talk his microphone was off so we saw some new things we've never seen you know how they um in new zealand the the national bird of new zealand is the kiwi and it only comes out at night. So you like never see it, you know? And so it's like, boy, does it really exist anywhere outside of zoos? I've only ever seen it in a zoo. But this is like the elusive Trump listening. No one's ever seen him listen before. And here he is, he's doing it. Never seen that. But he did have another strategy, a line of attack that I think, you know, a number of people have pointed out has been pretty effective, right, Naomi?
1: Yeah, so he kept, and we mentioned this a little bit before, but he kept talking about Joe Biden's record and really trying to hone in on the fact that Joe Biden has been in politics for a long time. He's been in public service for almost 50 years, and he hasn't done some of the accomplishments. He hasn't worked on some of the key issues that are supposedly important to him.
2: He's accusing you of wanting socialized medicine. What do you say to people who have concerns that your health care plan, which includes a government insurance option, takes the country one step closer to a health care system run entirely by the government? What's I your say
4: it's ridiculous. That? It's like saying that, you know, we're... Uh, the idea that the fact that there's a public option that people can choose, that makes it a socialist plan. Look, the difference between the president and I think health care is not a privilege, it's a right. Everyone should have the right to have affordable health care. And I am very proud of my plan. It's gotten endorsed by all the major labor unions as well as, as well as a whole range of other people who, in fact, are concerned in the medical field. This is something that's going to save people's lives, and this is going to give some people an opportunity an opportunity to have health care for their children. How many of you home are worried and rolling around in bed tonight, wondering what in God's name you're going to do if you get sick, because you've lost your home insurance, your your, your health insurance, your company's gone under. We have to provide health insurance for people at an affordable rate, and that's what I do.
3: President Trump. He was there for 47 years. He didn't do it. (laughs) He was now there as vice president for eight years. And it's not like it was 25 years ago. It was three and three quarters. It was just a little while ago. Right. Less than four years ago. He didn't do anything. He didn't do it. He wants socialized medicine.
1: I think this is. Probably effective within the Republican base. People who are sick of establishment Democrats, people who are sick of Hillary Clinton four years ago, and people who are sick of Democrats who have been there forever and don't trust them.
0: Or other politicians, right? I mean, they voted out, Republicans have voted out a lot of their own politicians and replaced them because they felt like they weren't getting things done.
1: Right, and so there's this idea that, you know, it's all a swamp and they're not getting anything done, right? And so these people who've been there forever are the problem, not the people who are going to be the solution makers. But it's done in a way that I think is like slightly more sophisticated than President Trump has done before, where he just like shits on like the Clinton name and on Biden, essentially, to be crass. Like it was like the name he was attacking. Here, at least he's saying he's not attacking the Biden name. He's attacking the supposed lack of accomplishments, which is like... And a slight teensy way, almost like growth for President Trump to like be able to have a slightly more sophisticated way to attack Joe Biden.
0: Part of me says this was his plan to go in there and say this Trump, Trump's plan to say it. And then the other side of me says, but also if you look at when he said it, it was almost every time Joe Biden had made a really strong case for Mm -hmm. something. And it was like, yeah, that sounds good. But you, you had 47 years and you haven't done it, right? And it was kind of like his way of, of, of undercutting good things that maybe Trump himself even thought sounded good, but, but hasn't actually occurred, right? Now, of course, the flip side of that is, A, Donald Trump, why haven't you been dedicated to public service for 47 years? And B, Donald Trump, you were president for four years and you haven't done this stuff either. It's a very, it seems like it's an argument that could be taken apart pretty easily. Yeah,
1: also the idea, like something that we should get done in 2020 as if it was possible In 1985. (laughs) Like, man, like, clearly doesn't know American history. Okay, but last part, looking at President Trump's performance, what were his weaknesses? What did he fail to accomplish? First and foremost, this man, which we have seen in his entire presidency, has zero ability to show empathy. Literally zero. We saw this for multiple groups, including families who have lost or suffered COVID directly within their families, looking at small businesses and people who are unemployed, looking at immigrants, looking at children who have been separated from their family, looking at black communities. Like,
0: look, Looking at anyone from China or India, which he called filthy.
1: It's just, it is both not surprising and exhausting. These are three quick examples of different communities different people in which president trump seems perfectly acceptable insulting and or showing zero compassion for
2: let me ask Kristen, you about this Kristen, I will it. say and this they went down seconds, we brought reporters
3: everything them. they are so well taken care of they're in facilities that were so clean That's- catch and release is a disaster a murderer would come in a rapist would come in a very bad person would come in we would take their name We have to release them into our country. And then you say they come back. Less than 1% of the people come back. We have to send ICE out and Border Patrol out to find them. We would say, come back in two years, three years. We're going to give you a court case. You need Perry Mason. We're going to give you a court case. When you say they come back, they don't come back, Joe. They never come back. Only the really, I hate to say this, But those with the lowest IQ, they might come back. Okay, President Trump, let's give Vice
2: President Biden a chance to respond and then we're going to move on to the next. And I want to talk about the way black and brown Americans experience race in this country. Part of that experience is something called the talk. It happens regardless of class and income. Parents who feel they have no choice but to prepare their children for the chance that they could be targeted, including by the police, for no reason other than the color of their skin. President Trump, same question to you. And let me remind you of the question. I would like you to speak directly to these families. Do you understand why these parents fear for their children? Yes,
3: I do. And again, he's been in government 47 years. He never did a thing except in 1994. When he did such harm to the black community. And they were called, and he called them super predators. And he said that, he said it, super predators. And they have never lived that down. 1994, your crime bill, the super predators. Nobody has done more for the black community than Donald Trump. And if you look, with the exception of Abraham Lincoln, possible exception, but the exception of Abraham Lincoln, nobody has done. What I've done.
0: Yeah, this was just so obvious. The way, and it just just came up again and again and again. Like every opportunity Trump had to address the American people, which is kind of like a very common thing to want to do when you're running for president of the American people, he had zero interest in doing that, right? He would dismiss it. He would make fun of Biden for doing it. He would interrupt. And he would just flat out refuse to speak with any empathy to any any of these groups at all it's it's kind of it's it's just absolutely crazy when you think about it but i don't know that i saw any empathy on any question for anybody not just the groups that we assume trump isn't going to be you know best friends with but any groups
1: i think at one point he talks about how new york has been ruined it's empty and business and restaurants it's are closed. ghost town it's a said. ghost town right but he's not talking about people in poverty, people losing their jobs. He's not talking about children hungry. He's not talking about people losing their homes. Like Even in an example in which it would be so easy to be compassionate, it is a skill he does not know how to demonstrate. And, and this whole point of children are kept in fine facilities, these are children that the federal government has made into orphans. And, and he wants to brag about the facilities they're in. It's just, I can't.
0: It's disgusting. So obviously he failed, as we mentioned earlier, to stick to the facts or, or really many facts at all. Uh, but he also would from time to time derail the conversation, not just on his own pet projects, but on really bizarre issues. Take a listen because we needed their energy. We are
3: energy independent. I know more about wind than you do. It's extremely expensive. Kills all the birds. It's very intermittent. It's got a lot of problems. And they happen to make the windmills in both Germany and China. And the fumes coming up, if you're a believer in carbon emission, the fumes coming up to make make these massive windmills is more than anything that we're talking about with natural gas, which is very clean. One other thing. Find me a scientist to say that. I love solar. But solar doesn't quite have it yet. It's not powerful
0: yet to... To really
1: run our big, beautiful factories, that we so we live by some windmills. We live very close to well, windmill- wind
0: turbines. First of all,
1: right? They're wind turbines. That's yes. I should not be using Trump's bad science language. Yeah. And he- <laughs> President Trump is just like <laughs> he's just so strange in what he hates. Yeah, it's
0: very weird. This is his personal pet peeve. He hates windmills, wind turbines. I should wind say turbines. now. I'm talking about, I know windmill. he
1: like really gets in your head.
0: I know. Well, wind mills mill something, right? They're right, like a factory, exactly. you know. The little—it's a
1: verb, right? They mill something,
0: right? They're like making something rather than capturing energy, which is what turbines do. Correct. Windmills are also super cute, you know—little <laughs> like wooden windmills up in Denmark, you know. <laughs>
1: but the other thing is, like, he talks about this. Um, <laughs> this is like a fact check to be petty, but he talks about wind wind turbines killing birds. Like, skyscrapers kill more birds. Like, windows on skyscrapers kill way more birds than... Wind turbines. So, like, maybe you should be mad at like the skyscrapers in New York City or in other cities, like, because they're doing way more harm to the bird population. So,
0: and is he like a a birder? Like, <laughs> yeah, does like... <laughs> he love birds? Suddenly, that's is that like an unknown fact about Donald Trump that he loves birds and he's got a little menagerie of birds <laughs> that he keeps? That would be interesting, but I don't think that's true.
1: No, I think he hates all pets.
0: There's no, there are no pets in the White House right now.
1: I know it's so sad. All right, so let's move on to the last person on stage that we need to talk about. And that's former Vice President Joe Biden.
0: So Naomi, what did you think Joe Biden came to the table? What was his goal here? What are some of the messages he wanted to push forwards?
1: I think first and foremost, he was there to correct misinformation I think prime example around the coronavirus and really demonstrate to the American people that President Trump failed us all when it came to the coronavirus response. President
2: Trump, your reaction? I say over
3: soon. I say we're learning to live with it. We have no choice.
2: Can you have
4: responded that
2: thirty seconds, please, 30 and then seconds. I have a
4: question. No, number one, he says that we're uh, you know we're learning to live with it. People are learning to die with it. You folks home will have an empty chair at the kitchen table this morning. That man or wife going to bed tonight and reaching over to try to touch their out of habit where their wife or husband was is gone. Learning to live with it. Come on. We're dying with it. The fact is that when we knew it was coming, when it hit, what happened? What did the president say? He said, don't worry, it's going to go away. Be gone by Easter. Don't worry. The Warm weather. Don't worry. Maybe inject bleach. He said he was kidding when he said that. But a lot of people thought it was serious. A whole range of things the president has said. Even today, he thinks we are in control. We're about to lose 200,000 more people.
0: Not just in the areas of the actual disease, but in the economic response as well. And not only correcting Trump's, you know, record, but correcting the record that some people are trying to push out that the Democrats are to blame.
1: Specifically Nancy Pelosi. Yeah,
0: for this economic issue.
2: Let me ask Vice President Biden a question. You are the leader of the Democratic Party. Why have you not pushed the Democrats to get a deal for the American people? Oh, well, I have, and they have
4: pushed it. Look, they passed this act all the way back in the beginning of the summer. This is like it's not new. It's been out there. This Heroes Act has been sitting there. And look at what's happening. When I was in charge of the Recovery Act with $800 billion, I was able to get $145 billion to local communities that have to balance their budgets and the states that have to balance their budgets, so they didn't have to fire fire, they have to fire firefighters, teachers, first responders, law enforcement officers, so they could keep their cities and counties running. He will not support that. They have not done a thing for them. And Ms. McConnell said, let them go bankrupt. Let them go bankrupt. Come on. What's the matter? The bill that was
3: passed in the House was a bailout of badly run, high crime, Democrat, all run by Democrats, cities and states. It was a way of getting a lot of money, billions and billions of dollars to these kids. It was also a way of getting a lot of money from our people's pockets to people that come into our country illegally. We
4: Elected. I'm not going to, I'm running as a proud Democrat, but I'm going to be an American president. I don't see red states and blue states. What I see is American, United States, and folks, every single state out there finds themselves in trouble. They're going to start laying off, whether they're red or blue, cops, firefighters, first responders, because teachers, because they have to balance their budget. And the founders were smart. They allowed the federal government to deficit spend to compensate for the United States of
1: America. So this is important for so many reasons because, yes, he, what we're seeing here is Joe Biden correcting the record in terms of what the Democrats have done and what they're waiting for Republicans to do, right? It also demonstrates that President Trump has not been part of the negotiations and really coming up with a counter plan or to, to meet the Democrats in the middle. But I think the other part that is so important is that... Joe Biden is bringing up the need for local and state support, which, I mean, COVID relief funds are important to the average American and like households, of course, but it's so, so important to connect it back to our local and state governments because one, they also employ people, right? So if they don't get support, they're also going to lay off. But Two, that also means public safety workers and making sure that the fabric of our communities can function even when we're in a national crisis. I think that's so, so effective. And then three, President Trump often tries to say that that's a, you know, support for local and state governments is a bailout and tries to make this a blue versus a red state funding issue. And that's just not the case.
0: Absolutely. And then we get the line from Biden. I don't see red states or blue states. I see the United States. I mean, that is the speech, the exact words that Barack Obama used that launched Obama's career at the Democratic National Convention back in 2004, I believe it was.
1: There is not a liberal America and a conservative America. There is the United States of America. There is not a black America and a white America and Latino America and Asian America. There's the United States of America.
0: I, the other thing I want to highlight here and that I appreciated and when we talk about correcting misinformation, it's not just about saying Democrats did such and such and Republicans have failed, blah, blah, blah. Not only just getting into the political side of things, but getting into the like fact side of things, like the fact that he cites about how the states need help from the federal government because the states have different financial pressures, they're not able to operate deficits they have to balance their budgets but the federal government has the ability to do this and should and it's the role of the federal government to do this that is so such an important fact but it's something that i mean we have been covering the sunday shows for how long Naomi talking about this covid relief for for, for months and months and not a single guest and not a single host has drawn that important distinction and educated the viewer about why things are so different and why these states need a quote unquote bailout and the localities need a bailout from the federal government.
1: Yeah. And I also want to see, I mean, this is more of a question on Republican governors, but I don't hear them saying that if there was support, they wouldn't take it. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. And we've actually seen Republican governors say that they need it, like Governor Hogan. Right. Yeah. Trump's claim that this is a you know, a blue money grab is just completely false. So Biden came
0: to the table correcting misinformation, but he also came to the table, as we heard a little bit here, with his message about focusing on all Americans. You know, he talked about his plans, certainly for COVID, for better jobs, for a safer America, but he really focused on American workers and bringing people together.
1: Yeah. So take a listen to this clip in which Joe Biden is talking about workers in the oil industry and kind of in the energy industry overall and looking at how people can have good paying jobs, but also live and work in a safe environment.
0: Yeah, it's the flip side. Not only did, you know, we talked about how Trump, one of his failures was to bring any empathy Well, this was one of Biden's key messages that he brought to the table.
4: My response is that those people live on what they call fence lines. He doesn't understand this. They live near chemical plants that, in fact, pollute chemical plants and oil plants and refineries that pollute. I used to live near that when I was growing up in Claymont, Delaware, and all the more oil refineries in Marcus Hook and the Delaware River than there is any place, including in Houston at the time. When my mom get in the car and when, when there were first frost to drive me to school, turn in the windshield, wiper, there'd be oil slick in the window. That's why so many people in my state were dying and getting cancer. The fact is, those frontline communities, it doesn't matter what you're paying them. It matters how you keep them safe. What do you do? And you impose restrictions on the pollutants that it, the pollutants coming out of those fence line communities.
2: Okay, I have one final. Would question. Would he close it down falls, the oil industry?
4: It falls, w- would you close it down falls, the oil industry? By the way, industry? I would transition from the oil industry. Yes. Oh, that's transition. a big statement. Thank it you. is a big statement. That's because statement. I would stop. Why would you do that? Because the oil industry pollutes significantly. Oh, I see. And here's
1: the deal. But yeah. So look, it's just so interesting, President Trump's. Retort here is around the oil industry, not about the American people. It really d- shows the distance of where these two men kind of think about this issue one on workers and one about industry.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And that kind of takes us to the next segment where we're going to talk about where Joe Biden did well. And that was this kind of these sort of f- fiery responses and sometimes very pithy answers. I mean, what we heard from Joe Biden in this clip was, it doesn't matter what you're paying them, it's how you keep them safe. And I think you could write a whole dissertation on that because- I'm sure
1: there's people who have.
0: <laughs> because literally, what is it that we heard from Trump again and again and again? It was about money. It was about Wall Street. It was about the economy business, yeah. and business as it relates to to dollars and cents. Whereas Biden is saying- this isn't about money. It's, yeah. it's it's about keeping people safe. It's about the people, yeah. not, it, not it, the It's money. as if
1: President Trump has no idea how to talk about quality of life.
0: Yeah. It's like if you pay them off, then you're fine, right? They should be fine.
1: Yeah. So in speaking of fiery responses, like, I don't disagree with you. I thought what was some of Joe Biden's most powerful moments is when he demonstrated real valid anger and- to be clear, he's a white guy. So I think white guys are able to communicate anger in a way that other people can't.
0: Not communicate, but they are it's acceptable to the public in a way. Correct. It is perceived
1: accept. better. Yes. A white man can be angry when a black woman like Kamala Harris just a week or two ago, it's a lot harder for her to be angry. And so I just want to couch that, one. But two, when Joe Biden did communicate his anger, I thought it was really powerful. Take us into this moment in which Joe Biden is talking about these 500 plus children who have been separated from their families and are stuck.
3: They come over through cartels and through coyotes and through gangs.
1: Vice President
2: Biden, let me bring you into this conversation. Quick response and then another question to you. These
4: 500 plus kids came with parents. They separated them at the border to make it a disincentive to come to begin with. They real tough. We're really strong. And guess what? They cannot, it's not coyotes didn't bring them over. Their parents were with them. They got separated from their parents. And it makes us a laughing stock and violates every notion of who we are as a nation.
2: Let me ask you a follow-up Kristen, question.
3: they did it. We changed the policy. Your response they to that? They did it.
4: We, we did not. They built the cages. The vet. They, who, who built the cages, let's, Joe? Let's talk about what who we're talking about. Who built the cages, let's Joe? Let's talk about what we're talking about. What happened? Parents were ripped. Their kids were ripped from their arms and separated. And now they cannot find over 500 sets of those parents. And those kids are alone. Nowhere to go. Nowhere to go. It's criminal.
2: But we don't have to to worry about it because they
4: terminated it. So we don't have to worry about it. Let's move on to the next section. Yeah, 525 kids not knowing where in God's name they're going to be and lost their parents. Go ahead.
1: All right. Yeah, like compare this to President Trump's earlier responses of the kids are in fine facilities, it's yeah. essentially like bragging about nice cages versus Joe Biden's like, you made these children orphans.
0: Well, exactly. And it, this was Biden's sort of fact checking a little bit Trump's answer. Right. Because exactly. part of Trump's answer was, well, these kids were being taken advantage of they were being taken by coyotes and criminals across the border and joe biden says no these are kids who are brought by their parents yeah
1: and and i think i'm part of, i'm sure this is part of daniel dale's fact check but there were minors who came to this country without guardians that is correct but what they're talking about here is specifically children who came with their parents who were separated from their parents, right? And so President Trump wants to talk about unaccompanied minors and as if saying they showed up unaccompanied and that's why we they're kind of in the system alone. But the distinction is very clear that these are children who had parents that no longer, that the system no longer knows where their parents are. And that is very, very important that Joe Biden made that distinction. But it... It's not just like a fact check, like a cold fact check. It's full of so much emotion and disgust and anger and shame for this country to do this.
0: Yeah, he was so Biden was so effective on a number of these issues. And I was frankly very surprised because it was as effective as any politician out there in talking about these issues. And I often think, you know, we think of Joe Biden as having his kind of pet projects in areas that he's really interested in. Like he really, you know, he was the chairman of foreign relations. He loves talking about foreign relations. But that wasn't the, the strongest section for him. The strongest section for him w- were these items where he just got really fired up.
1: And I think, I think communicating your anger can be very hard. I don't know. Maybe I'm just like projecting here because I know it's hard for me when I'm super upset with something like children who are separated at the border, like reproductive justice. It's uh, so easy for the emotion to be seen and heard more than the facts you're relaying. And I think what Joe Biden does really well here is he gives a more accurate portrayal of what this Trump administration actually did, but still communicating that, that deep anger.
0: And I think it connects to the whole reason why he says he ran for president, right? Where he was motivated by his outrage over Donald Trump's response to the rally in Charlottesville and saying that they were fine people on both sides, you know, that Nazis were fine people. It's where Joe Biden, with that level of anger that motivated him to get into the race. And what we hear here puts him a lot closer to Bernie Sanders's outrage that motivates everything Sanders does then it does put Joe Biden close to Obama, who is about hope and change and harmony and bringing the country together under a banner of of unity.
1: Yeah, but I think where I would say Joe Biden differs from Bernie Sanders is Bernie Sanders can be a lot of anger and not a lot of like, but what does this mean or where do we go? And I think Joe Biden communicated anger with also a clear picture of, this is how we get out of here.
0: I don't know. I think Bernie's always got his policy position, but let's, let's not go too deep into the Bernie. I was just saying that Biden is using anger in a way to communicate his position in a very effective way. And it's not something we saw from Obama.
1: I mean, and I guess tied to this is also this idea of who Joe Biden is and who President Trump is. And I thought Joe Biden made a good call to the american people to look at his character and to look at the president's character for both of you Well,
4: i'll tell you what i uh i hope he does look at me because what's happening here is you know who i am you know who he is you know his character you know my character you know our reputations for honor and telling the truth i am anxious to have this race i am anxious to see this take place i am the character of the country is on the ballot our character is on the ballot look at us closely
0: So we've heard Joe Biden talk about character a lot, but what's interesting to me about this, and it's probably partly why Joe Biden was chosen, is that he is a known entity and he's always had pretty good job approval ratings and he's not somebody that Donald Trump and the Republicans have been able to pin down and define, right? He's got, Biden himself already is so well-known that Biden can say, you know who I am. You know who he is. You know, you don't have to listen to, to what he says. You already know who we are as people. And nothing he says is gonna change that. And that's something unique for Biden as a candidate, that Joe Biden has largely been defined by his own reputation and his own experiences and what he's done and not by Republicans. Republicans had such an advantage and Trump had such an advantage In a candidate like Hillary Clinton, because for decades, Republicans had been weighing down and redefining her in a very negative light for their constituents. And that hasn't been the case for Joe Biden. They haven't been able to do that for Joe Biden. They don't have all of that, all those years of negative messages about him to draw on and negative feelings to draw on. And Biden is taking advantage of that and saying, look, I'm a person of character and you know who I am.
1: And the last kind of quick thing around what he did well is just his facial expressions were pure gold, his kind of WTF faces. And at one point he looks up and it looks like he's like meditating to calm down. It was really funny. And my favorite is when Joe Biden jokingly calls President Trump Abraham Lincoln and President Trump doesn't get the joke.
0: Yeah. So obviously, you're not going to see Joe Biden's looks here, but you'll get his tone and you'll get the sense of what what he maybe looked like. And just to set this up, as you've probably heard in the past, President Trump likes to say he is the well, and
1: today he said that,
0: yeah, that he is the best president for African Americans. But not including Abraham Lincoln, maybe Lincoln was better.
2: I'm the least
4: racist person in this room.
2: Okay, Vice President Biden, let me ask you very quickly and then I have a follow up question for you.
4: Abraham Lincoln here is one of the most racist presidents we've had in modern history. He pours fuel on every single racist fire, every single one. Started off his campaign coming down the escalator saying he's going to get rid of those Mexican rapists. He's banned Muslims because they're Muslims. He has moved around and made everything worse across the board.
2: President Trump, I'm going to give you 10 seconds to respond, and then I have a follow-up. You no,
3: made a reference to Abraham Lincoln. Where did that come in? I mean, you said you're Abraham that, Lincoln. No, no, where did that? No, no. You said, I said, not since Abraham Lincoln has anybody done what I've done for the black community. And I'm. Saying, I didn't say I'm Abraham Lincoln. I said, not since Abraham Lincoln has anybody done what I've done for the black community. Now, you have done nothing other than the crime bill, which put...
0: Oh, God.
3: Tens of thousands.
0: So, yeah, (laughs) you hear Biden literally laughing there like, this guy just doesn't get the joke. He just doesn't get it. Reminds me of that uh, infamous roasting that President Obama did of Donald Trump during the White House Correspondents Association dinner, and Trump just sat there stone-faced. There's many things Donald Trump is not, but high on that list is self-deprecating. True.
1: True. Okay. And so our last thing we wanted to talk about around Joe Biden's performance were his weaknesses and things that he missed or did not succeed at. We thought one thing that stood out to us is that Joe Biden probably could have been a little bit more effective on pushing back on Trump's arguments.
0: Yeah, there were a number of moments where Trump was asking Biden direct questions. And Biden just sort of answered them rather than being a little more Offensive, he was very defensive. And I feel like that led to some missed opportunities.
3: But why didn't he get it done? See, it's all talk, no action with these politicians. Why didn't he get it done? That's what I'm going to do when I become president. You were vice president, along with Obama as your president, your leader, for eight years. Why didn't you get it done? You had eight years to get it done. Now you're saying you're going to get it done because. You're all talking, no action, Jim. We got a lot of it done.
4: We released thirty-eight thousand prisoners left from the. You got out. nothing done. Thirty-eight thousand prisoners were released from federal prison. We have there were over a thousand people who were given clemency. We in fact we're the ones that put in the legislation saying we could look at pattern and practice of police departments and what they were doing, how they were conducting themselves. You put tens because of thousands of mostly black young men in
3: prison now you're saying you're going to get you're going to undo that why didn't you get it done you had eight years with obama because, you know why joe because you're all talk and no action
2: all right vice president because Biden, and then we're done. going to move on to the next section
4: You had a republican congress that's the answer it, well you okay. gotta talk you gotta
3: talk him into it joe
0: yeah so in this moment we hear biden kind of say, look, we did we did important things here. Here's examples of what we did on criminal justice. And then Trump continues asking lots of questions of Biden, and, and Biden has different responses. But instead, Biden could have asked at a number of occasions what Trump had done, right? He could have turned the question back on Trump. So I think by answering Trump's questions directly, it's, I mean, we appreciate it as, you know, when someone, a politician actually answers a question, but- I don't think there's any responsibility to answer every question of your opponents, right? That you don't have to elevate them
1: to the level of questions by the moderator. Right. I think that's an important point. And I think in general, I mean, Joe Biden can go off on some tangents. This is just something we know about Joe Biden. And today we saw him ramble a bit. Not, I don't think in too many times, but there were, there was a point or two where it kind of got the better of him and really distracted from his answer. One point that stands out to us is when they were talking about election interference and Joe Biden was talking about Russia potentially interfering again. And he kind of takes his own bait and starts going and talking about Giuliani. And I think it takes away from his original message that President Trump isn't doing anything.
2: This question goes to you, Mr. Vice President, what would you do to put an end to this threat? You have two minutes uninterrupted.
4: I made it clear, and I ask everyone else to take the pledge. I made it clear that any country, no matter who it is, that interferes in American elections will pay a price. They will pay a price. And it's been overwhelmingly clear this election. I won't even get into the last one. This election that Russia has been involved, China has been involved to some degree. And now we learn that that uh, that uh, Iran is involved. They will pay a price if I'm elected. They're interfering with American sovereignty. That's what's going on right now. They're interfering with American sovereignty. But the point is this, folks. We are in a situation where we have foreign company, countries trying to interfere in the outcome of our election. His own national security advisor told him that what is happening with his buddy, well, I won't, I should well, I will. His buddy, Rudy Giuliani, he's being used as a Russian pawn. He's being fed information that is Russian, that is not true. And then what happens? Nothing happens. And then you find out that everything that's going on here about Russia is wanting to make sure that I do not get elected the next president of the United States because they know I know them, and they know me.
0: Yeah, this didn't happen a ton. But it happened, unfortunately, for Joe Biden in some of the early portions of the debate. I feel like Biden got stronger as topics moved on to issues that he was a little more fiery about. But as a result, this kind of like rambling or stumbling a little bit over statistics or over his words, you know, they they were never so distracting that you felt like, it could really be clipped and pointed out as like a really big issue in the debate. There weren't like big moments or, or sound bites where that happened, but it was apparent. And they were moments when Biden could have had smoother answers and clearer arguments. Because part of it is like speech. And certainly we know Joe Biden had a stutter when he was younger, and it's something that he's always worked through. But it's not just a question of the stutter. It's about decisions he makes about the topics he Correct. wants to put in. The, right. The where answers. to spend
1: the time on certain topics versus where to take it. Yep. That's a good point or a good distinction. So who won the debate tonight?
0: Well, everyone is saying Kristen Welker won this debate. 100% agree with that. And we totally agree with that.
1: I think journalism. Journalism in general felt like they had a good win.
0: Yes.
1: (laughs) With Kristen Welker's performance tonight.
0: Exactly. And they have have not had a lot of great wins lately. Correct. Definitely a performance worth studying Mm -hmm. for future debates. And we certainly, we heard from Chris Wallace already tonight that he was... Jealous. Jealous.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And I think in terms of the candidates, for sure, I think Joe Biden had the upper hand, as I mentioned earlier. I think... President Trump this is the best he can do. Yeah. I don't think that's exaggerated to say I don't think he can do anything better and it's still not enough to I think inspire hope and really lay out a vision for what he wants to do next in the next 4 years. Exactly.
0: That's the big thing that was missing from this debate was a very clear vision of Trump's agenda for the next 4 years, not the next few weeks as he's hoping for a vaccine, but the next four years.
1: It, it seems as if he's done no real assessment and analysis of what was hard or what he'd learned in the last four years and how that would shape what he'd do next. It's it's as if he's running for president for the first time almost. And so doesn't inspire a lot of confidence for sure, especially considering incumbents have the greater advantage usually.
0: Trump certainly didn't win it, but Biden also brought very positive answers a lot of energy, anger when needed, and the ability to go toe-to-toe with Trump in this way, in the same way he did in the last one.
1: Absolutely. And there's another winning moment that I wanted to know. And <laughs> we've had emails and tweets about when I call things trash and when I call things garbage. And it seems as if those inquiries have rippled. And it's now a thing people say.
0: Yes. Those are trash questions, or that's a trash answer. This is a trash panel, trash guest.
1: Well, it looks like Joe Biden as well also got the message. President Trump, you have to
0: respond to that, please.
4: Very quickly. There are fifty former national intelligence folks who said that what this he's accusing me of is a Russian plant. They have said that this is has all the four five former heads of the CIA. Both parties say what he's saying is a bunch of garbage.
1: This makes me genuinely so happy. (laughs) (laughs) Some people don't like trash or garbage or using that term. I think it is very effective. And I highly encourage everyone to use it when they're upset or are noting something is completely subpar.
0: And maybe can't, maybe you're on a national broadcast and can't use other words. But even so, it's a good word.
1: Yeah, it's it's fantastic. It's
0: great. (laughs) Could you imagine if he had actually said trash, that would be that would be amazing
1: my my heart would grow so much
0: all right well that's it for this debate this debate season this debate election amazing we've made it through we've covered
1: pretty much all of them i think was there one of the primaries we missed one in january we had some friends visiting yes but Brendan I'm, still hasn't let it down. He's still disappointed. I know it's not
0: a a hundred <laughs> percent debate number, but we made that decision.
1: They're dear friends. It was worth it. <laughs> but in general, we've learned a lot, and we've I think in general have seen such a range of styles and priorities by moderators that I think it's going to be really interesting to kind of hold all this learning as we you know move into new elections and really think critically as to what the journalist role is in terms of the dialogue around debates.
0: Absolutely. I'm going to miss debate season, but
1: (laughs) I will not, (laughs) but not,
0: not yet, not this minute. (laughs) There's a lot more to cover and a lot more to discuss. We'll of course be back with you with an all new episode about the Sunday morning political shows in your feed on Monday morning. Thanks for sticking with us through all of the debate episodes. Of course, you can always go back and listen to our old ones at any time. They're there in your feed waiting for you. We are there waiting. That's
1: that's a little weird. You don't have to do that, but if you want to, I guess that's fine.
0: It reminds me of your brother who went and listened to all of oh our all of our episodes. I, I don't mean, know, or we, we were only at an episode like eighty or seventy at that time, or something crazy. But he he just went through them all. He listened
1: to like fifty episodes in like ten days. It was unnecessary, <laughs> but very grateful. <laughs> but in general, they're there for you. Sometimes. It, We have college students as well, so I guess that could be a resource for them. But anyway, we've learned a lot. We have, I think, 13 days to the election. What is it? Two weeks? 12
0: days? I don't know.
1: I don't know. Just vote, people. Just vote. Please vote. Do it.
0: If you haven't already.
1: Make a plan. Get it done. All right. That's our dialogue challenge. That's our action challenge. That's everything. I didn't
0: even know we were doing challenges.
1: Well, we weren't, but (laughs) you need to vote, so...
0: So if you'd like to share your thoughts about the debate, you can always reach us on Twitter at Polylogcast. You can reach me at Beast You
1: can reach me at Soto Naomi underscore. And you can always email us as well at, at podcast at polylog.com.
0: And if you want to support the show, support our extra debate episodes at no charge to you, you know, you get it for free. Um, you can go to our special little donate button. That's that's in the show notes or on our website on the about
1: page. Sounds good. We'll talk to you on Sunday.
0: Talk with you then. Bye.
1: Bye.